Hello, Marvelites. Welcome to Marvel's The Polis for new comics out October 10th, 2018. I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. And my voice, now that I'm actually using it in uh, performance mode, it is not 100%, I realize, <laughs> at this moment. It was a big weekend yeah. at New York Comic Con, but it was so much fun. We did our first live show of yeah. Marvel's The Pull List. Tucker, I forget. Who got crowned The Pull Lord? I don't, uh, I don't know. I think it's a matter of debate. Uh, I think it kind of was left mm. up in the air. No, I don't, really I don't sure. think so. Um, the scores don't lie. There's no record of this in video form online. Um, Au contraire. <laughs> uh, everyone can witness our uh, first live video event at a Comic-Con at marvel.com slash nycc2018 where you can see everything we did at the convention. It was a hoot and a holler. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Uh, I will be in Austin, Texas, October 12th for the 10th anniversary MCU event at Mondo's Gallery. So if you are local to the area, please come out. They're doing a really cool uh, event with new posters, new art, just a cool reception on October 12th. You can find info from Mondo and all their social channels and whatnot. Sounds awesome. Yeah, it's going to be great. And I'll be be doing some interviews and, and doing some video stuff from there. Before we get into this week's books, I just wanted to say that there are memoriam pages in many of the books for Gary Friedrich, the co-creator of Ghost Rider. So keep your eyes open. Make sure you, you check those out. It's really important to know who helped create her universe. Mm-hmm. And um, when they pass away, uh, I, I'm very glad we were able to shine a light on, on these wonderful individuals and, and the contributions that they made to Marvel. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And with that, let's dive into our books. First up is Amazing Spider-Man number seven. Written by Nick Spencer, art by Umberto Ramos and Victor Olazaba with colors by Edgar Delgado and VCs Joe Caramagna on letters. Did you get to meet Joe? Um, You know, I didn't. But I did get to meet Umberto. Yes. uh, Which was awesome. He was uh, at Marvel HQ last week and I helped him to the exit. Oh, look at you. (laughs) You are such a helpful boy. It was Truly an honor. <laughs> I mean, uh, Umberto is so sweet, so wonderful. I always like seeing him. But Joe is sort of an unsung hero mm-hmm. for us at Marvel because of all the, the work he does, lettering a billion books, him and the rest of virtual calligraphy. But we're talking about here, this issue of Amazing Spider-Man, which more Umberto, more deadly foes of Spider-Man pages. And these are actually a bit of a heartbreaker when you get into them. Nick does such a great job of making Boomerang both a total jerk and someone you root for. He's kind of a lovable bad guy who's just kind of an idiot at heart, but the pages here that are the Deadly Foes pages, which are done by the Deadly Foes creative team, really show that the heart's a little bit broken there. Mm-hmm. It's a little There's a, a deep sadness yeah. to Fred Myers. You know, you really want to like the guy even more. But we, we start to see more of the mysterious dude with the creepy crawlies in this book. I don't want to say anything more, but the last image of this issue is wild. Mm. First up for me is Avengers number nine. But hey, legacy numbering. This is Avengers number 699. Wow. I didn't even realize that when I was reading. But we're almost at 700 issues of I, Avengers. I want to say I love legacy numbering. Yeah. I, I wish I want it to be on every book. There was one book that is relatively low. It might be it's either Squirrel Girl or Ms. Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has legacy numbering, which I wanted on everything that could possibly have it. Yeah, Ms. Marvel is uh, has legacy numbering. We have issue 35 this week, but uh, it's issue 54 overall. But 
the creative team is made up of Jason Aaron writing, David Marquez on art with colors by Justin Ponsor, letters by Corey Petit, and okay, it's Namor the Submariner. I mean, uh, this is so tasty. This is so good. It's really interesting because the first arc of uh, this Jason Aaron Avenger story was all about the Celestials. It was it was this kind of super massive cosmic story with, you know, the Avengers at their powerful best. But it's really cool here to see them go up against a guy that they can literally look eye to eye with. And because of that, in this issue, we get some really, really awesome sparring. I don't even know if you could call it that. It's 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 it, a throwdown. Yeah, like, there's a throwdown. And, you know, you have Namor who people don't fully get it that he is up there with like Hulk yeah. power levels. Yeah. Like, he is so incredibly powerful. Every hyperbole mm-hmm. applies to him. Yeah. He is on the level of a Doctor Doom or a Black Panther in terms of powerful monarchs and world leaders. He is powerful like the Hulk in terms of strength. He is very intelligent. Mm-hmm. He is very strategic. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he fits in with pretty much any top level. Yeah. He's there. Yeah. I love the... When I said sparring isn't quite the right word because that's a little too that's a little too agile for what's going on here. And I'm speaking I'm talking about the the rhetorical exchanges between these characters because Namor has such a beautiful, grand, self righteous way of speaking, and it's just kind of these big blows that he just throws at the Avengers, and then you have other characters like Thor, you have Black Panther, you have these other characters who are in no you know way kind of like squeaky little subtle voices themselves going up against each other. It is just this monumental clash that goes down here. This whole issue takes place underwater, which is really cool, and I feel like there's some incredible like, kaiju action in here, which is awesome, and the whole way through, I love David Marquez's work because you can kind of feel the water around them. You can kind of see how it's affecting the movements. I think this is a really just awesome start. Uh, I think Namor is just the perfect Marvel, you know, legendary villain to go up against this team. I'm so excited to continue to see Jason Aaron write him and write the, the Avengers response to him. Yeah. And, it, you know, the, the thing about Namor is, yes, he he has that sort of villainous tint to it, but he is very much the, when we talk about it, an antagonist, right? Mm. He is someone who has a very relatable point of view. He is thinking about his people. He is someone who is fighting for his people who are suffering. The, their land or their, their water is being polluted. They are dying mm-hmm. because of the actions of, of humanity and surface dwellers. So he is angry. His rage is surfacing so much that it's like he's growing in power but he's not like mustache twirling he is like you are killing my people Mm -hmm. i am fighting back and he is you know like you can't help but agree with a lot of his points even if he may be thinking about going things in a dangerous or harmful way to others Mm -hmm. but man this is him leveled up going toe-to-toe with the avengers so awesome it's Everything you want from Namor. Love it. This was nearly one of my picks, so that's why I kept talking about it. Sorry. Uh, next book is Ben Riley, Scarlet Spider, number 25. And my first line I wrote after reading it was, well, that was dark. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This was a very dark issue. This is, I believe, the last issue yeah. for the series right now. Uh, you know, Ben Riley being a pawn between good, question mark, and evil, 
exclamation point. Uh, you got death and life, redemption. It's all up in the air by the end of this. And we know uh, that Ben will be in the pages of Spider-Geddon. We'll see what that means for him, especially by the, the like what happens in this issue. Sort of leaves a lot of questions of who and what he is. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm fascinated by that. This was written by Peter David, art by Bruno Olivieri. Colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. I'm sure Rochelle will come up many times this issue. We had a really fun talk with Rochelle on Marvel Live at New York Comic Con. She's terrific and really got some cool insight into what coloring a comic means. Mm -hmm. Next up is one of my picks of the week. It is Captain America number four, written by Ta-Nehisi Coates. With art by Laniel Francis Yu, inks by Jerry Allen Guilin, colors by Sonny Go, and letters by Joe Caramagna. It is just so cool to see Cap on a mission. It feels like such old school Captain America, such old school Steve Rogers, where he's just on his own and we're just getting the story from his perspective with some incredible narration over the top that taps into his psyche, that taps into why he's doing what he's doing, what he's up against and how he feels about it all along the way. Here he is uh, looking to rescue Sharon Carter, who has been kidnapped and is being held by a few characters. There are some really, really cool uh, emergences. I'm, I'm so, so fascinated to see how these different, maybe some unexpected characters to emerge, different power sets that are going to go up against each other. It is kind of the shield-wielding, shield-throwing, jumping and kicking classic Captain America that I think uh, I've just, you know, long ago when it was announced that uh, Ta-Nehisi was going to be writing this story, this is exactly what I was so fascinated to see him take on. Laniel also, I mean, really, what can you say? He's just a freak. He's a monster. He is like, (laughs) he's a force of nature. It is unbelievable. There's just such a beautiful mix of just like this hyper-realistic look. Uh, There's so much to love in this issue. And I mean, the cover, Alex Ross. Pretty much when we're talking covers every week, you know, if there's an Alex Ross one on offer, you know it's going to be incredible. And this one really is Cap holding the flag, kind of. It's tattered. It is, uh, again, just pure classic Cap, and I loved it so much. Yeah, this issue had one of my favorite three-panel sequences. I won't spoil who's fighting, but you have Cap versus his character, and you have three panels at the bottom of a page, and one is this close-up on this villain character's face, and it's intense partially because of what the character looks like but partially because of the way Laniel draws it and then the middle panel is Cap pulling something out of his body and then the third Cap is is Cap looking down and like getting ready to fight but the caption says character Uh is considered one of the most dangerous men alive beat for the middle panel Mm -hmm. last panel but so am I Mm -hmm. and I just I love that it's so intense it's so again Badass. It yeah. makes Captain America so cool. It's great comics. I do think you should read it. Up next is Domino, number seven, written by Gail Simone, art by David Baldion, colors by Jesus Arbutov, letters by Clayton Cowles. This team, so solid. Love everything that Gail is doing, and David is the best. And I, f- I got to meet David for the first time at Comic-Con. He was in Artist Alley, and he was with Javier Garon, David Lopez and Pepe Larraz. Come on. Right? <laughs> Come like, on. It, it's these four dudes yeah. whose art I absolutely adore. Like a glowing, like 
red hot yeah. nuclear yeah. <laughs> like of talent. It is and insane. It, it, and then I'm standing there and there was a listener to our shows. He's like, I love your podcast so much. And he said, you're the reason why I know who these guys are and, and why I pay so much attention to their work, which was like the greatest compliment yeah. because you and I adore their work. And we talk about them so effusively. And part of my goal is always to make sure our listeners appreciate the people behind the art mm -hmm. uh, because they are so sweet and so wonderful and they put so much into it. And so shout out to the listener. I apologize. I didn't get your name. Uh, we took a picture together. Tweet out the photo or tag me on Instagram or whatever. Uh, I would love to say thanks once again. Yeah, that's the it best. was just such a wonderful moment. Like yeah, I was awesome. surrounded by artists I love. And then there was a fan there. It was just this great like – End of Comic-Con, beautiful celebration. Yeah, that's the best of NYCC. Yeah. Uh, going back to the art, like, David, he's so good at the monsters and the creepy, and we talk about that all the time, but he's so also good at sexy and funny mm -hmm. and real. And, you know, there's this wonderful, like, the first page is this full-page splash of this really sexy domino. She's in this dress. It says, come on, get lucky. It's got this classic sort of, you know, pin-up-y type feel to mm -hmm. it. But it's actually a promo that Dom's friends made for their casino. And then you turn the page and the first panel is Domino in her pajamas, like one leg up. Uh, she's wearing the best T-shirt, yeah. which says, my boyfriend was in X-Force and all he gave me was this lousy T-shirt. And she's <laughs> holding Pip the Pug. Tremendous storytelling. Again, this was nearly one of my picks. I loved it. And big shout out to editor Chris Robinson, who's sporting a beautiful mustache these days. Oh, yeah. He's doing it. <laughs> We're very excited by that. Next book is Exiles, number nine. And this is, uh, I, w I won't say written or drawn by, because the credits say they are storytellers. Saladin Ahmed and Javier Rodriguez, inks by Alvaro Lopez, colors by Munsa Vicente, and letters by ya boy, Joe Caramagna. Mm -hmm. So good. The team finds themselves, oh, wait a minute. This is one of the picks of the week. Oh, yeah. Almost forgot. The team finds themselves in a reality where they're part of the stories of Aladdin, Sinbad the Sailor, and Alibaba and the Forty Thieves. It is super fun, super clever, and very magical, both literally and figuratively. Great Marvel twists to the realities in here. So you've got one story where they're going up on this island of Cyclopses, 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 <laughs> and uh, they look a bit like Scott Summer Cyclops. They're like got these blue bodies, but they have the, the yellow and red on mm -hmm. their their eyes. It's really neat touch. You have Black Cat as this big thief in one of the stories. There's a strange wizard in another <laughs> one of the stories, and uh, another huge one that I will not spoil. Plus, I'm very glad that we see you know we have. Saladin and Javier credited as storytellers because this truly is a synergy of comic greatness that would not be the same were one of them not part of this team. Mm -hmm. Like it really is the two of them together making this what it is. Javier is a master of of laying out a page and finding ways to draw your eyes attention one way or another. But Saladin is like he gets great dialogue and, and interpersonal communications. And a lot of this is about the team being split apart and coming back together. So you've got characters off on their own or with another character. And so getting those 
tiny bits of, of character moments between the two is so important in building all this, especially when you have a giant team book like this, which has like seven people at its core. Uh, New York Comic Con week is always a really big week around Marvel HQ. There's always a ton of creators, a lot of great people around. Saladin Ahmed was in the office for the creative retreat. I got to sit in for about 18 minutes. But in that 18 minutes, Saladin was breaking down a story that shall not be named. And look, all I got to say was hearing him talk there, seeing him around the office, that dude is insanely impressive. I've always loved how he writes, but then kind of seeing him talk about these things in person is incredible and just left me thinking like, give him everything. <laughs> Let him write everything. I love it so much. Uh, next up is the Man of Ice. It's Iceman, number two. And it's written by the other guy that I want to see write everything, Cena Grace. He is the dang best uh, with art by Nathan Stockman, colors by Federico Blee, and letters by Joe Sabino. Uh, you can tell in this issue how much fun Cena is having writing Emma Frost. It is the best to kind of revel in that, to dig into her mind, to her kind of way of doing things. It's a really, really interesting issue for me. And this was kind of a theme that popped up across a lot of books. Ryan, I actually saw one of your notes about this, the same thing. The concept of family was a big theme in a lot of different books this week. And this is one that definitely hit on that in a really big way. So it was kind of cool to see Bobby Drake interacting with Emma Frost throughout this whole issue. They kind of go on something of a road trip together, definitely kind of a journey issue. We get to see a little bit into Iceman's mind, which is called Iceland, which was just a delight. And there are so many little little moments and little details in there from uh, Nathan that are so much fun to read. This is a, a classic example of taking a character who is a little bit frosty and, uh, and, <laughs> and, it. and, and you know, kind of by some just incredible combination of things, making you understand, making you kind of empathize and, you know, really feel for them just on a, on a, on a human level, a mutant level. And, uh, yeah, it, it adds up to something really special in this issue. I, I thought it was a great combination of characters. This Iceman-Emma Frost combo is fantastic. Is that a thing that, that, so, goes, that goes back? Well... Yeah. Funny you should ask. Yeah. Great segue, Tucker. Because yeah. if you want to learn more about Emma and Bobby's history, go back to Uncanny X-Men number 312. 312, she, at that point, Emma was in a coma. Hmm. And uh, I, I read 314 yesterday and 312, I like flipped through real quick. I just didn't have enough time to get through it. But 312 is, I believe, when she goes out of her coma and into Bobby's body. She takes over his body. He's still in there, but she she starts to realize that Bobby's not using his powers mm -hmm. to the fullest. So that's a really important character event for Bobby because she showed him he could be so much more and he wasn't doing mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, uh, I like how you use the, the frosty pun mm -hmm. uh, because Cena's all about oh, them yeah. bad dad jokes and corny puns <laughs> yeah, for, yeah. for Bobby. My favorite one was Admiral Snack Bar. <laughs> so terrific. And also shout out to artist Nathan Stockman, who I saw very briefly at New York Comic Con. It was great. He's the best. Also the best is Immortal Hulk number seven. This was so close to being one of my picks for the week. It was written by Al Ewing, art by Joe Bennett, inks by Roy Jose, colors by Paul Mounts, letters by VCs Corey Petit. Another beautiful cover mm -hmm. by our boy Alex Ross. But man, woo-wee, Devil Hulk. <laughs> Devil Hulk. One more time. 
Devil Hulk. <laughs> at the Marvel Unlimited Plus panel at New York Comic Con, we had Al Ewing uh, on there, and, and he was showing off and talking a bunch about Immortal Hulk. He talked about putting Hulk in pieces in jars and then having Hulk in hell. So that's the path we're on. Just, <laughs> just keep that in mind. But before we get there, it's Hulk versus the Avengers in this issue, and it is a wild one. It is brutal and scary and absolutely gorgeous. Joe's use of two-page spreads to tell widescreen action somehow gets better and better every issue. And everybody I talk to about Joe's work is just like, I wish I was working with him right now. Mm, This is months ago now, but I still think about it regularly. In Immortal Hulk number one, there was a two double-page spreads in a row, which is something you don't often see. Uh, like a big wide image of Hulk and then like a zoom in on his face. And it literally one of my great comics moments that like I can remember. I, I remember yeah. like seeing that first splash page. You're like, oh, awesome. There he is. And then you turn it again. I literally like gasped and couldn't believe what I was seeing. And that just speaks to just the imagination and the power and the execution of Joe Bennett. Incredible. Yeah, we should be we should have Immortal Hulk number one on Marvel Unlimited at this point. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't read it, it's it's so good. Uh, the Ghost Rider scene or the massive explosion. There's so many moments in this which are just tremendous. Also tremendous this week is Infinity Wars number four, written by Jerry Duggan, art by Mike Diodato Jr., colors by Frank Martin, letters by VCs Corey Petit, and uh, woo-wee. I really wanted more of the Emma Wolverine warp who we see in this issue. He's kind of like Wolverine, but styled by Tom Ford. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I love the nods and the connections to other books in here. It's something that Jerry, uh, which I think not just Jerry, we see uh, it it happening more and more. And I think we'll continue to see it happen more and more like connections that if you're reading other books, these Mm -hmm. things are making sense, Mm -hmm. uh, but they don't require you to know the other books. It's really neat. Like Loki and Ms. Marvel, they go back a ways and they're pals. And so that is brought up in here. There's stuff with the current series of Thor and what's happening at the end of time that's brought up here. Ant-Man and Drax and their recent status quo from Guardians. That's connected here. You know, none of these feel like they're there to make you read the other books. They just enhance. Mm -hmm. Mike Diodato, he just draws the most wonderful horror nightmare creatures. Mm. It's like this gross spider thing. And Ant-Man has an interaction with him in this issue where he is as disgusted by it as we are looking at it, it's, it's really great. But hey, speaking of Wolverine, you know what's out now for free? For free, Tucker. For anybody to listen to, we just released Marvel's Wolverine The Long Night, our first ever scripted podcast for free. It's coming out week by week, episode by episode, and it's so good. You can hear it right now online or in your podcast app. It starts when a fishing boat is found off the coast of Burns, Alaska. And special agents Sally Pierce and Tad Marshall arrive to find out who or what killed the crew. And their primary suspect is a drifter named, you guessed it, Logan. But the local police, they they won't cooperate. Mm -mm. And there's more going on in Burns than meets the eye. The podcast stars Richard Armitage as Wolverine. Of course, you know him as Thorin from the Hobbit movies. With Celia Keenan-Bolger as Agent Pierce and Otto Asando as Agent Marshall. Also featuring Bob Balaban, Scott Adsit, and Chris Gethard. You haven't heard anything like this before. The sound design, acting, and writing is all truly amazing. Check it out right now. You can listen to Marvel's Wolverine The Long Night for free. 
in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit wolverinepodcast.com for more info. But coming back to the 616, or maybe even a little bit beyond there, who knows, we're going to Ms. Marvel Number 35, it's written by G. Willow Wilson with art by Nico Leone, colors by Ian Herring, and letters by, there he is again, folks, it's Joe Caramagna. This issue continues this really fantastic cosmic kind of alternate dimensions, wild peaks in and out of different who knows what's. It just works so well because there is all this grand, amazing, you know, Kamala, Bruno floating in somewhere in outer space, somewhere in a wormhole uh, action, but it's all grounded. It's grounded so much by just the interpersonal connections, this relationship really between Kamala and Bruno. And there are some big steps forward that happened there. One of the things I appreciate most in uh, Ms. Marvel and with the work that G. Willow and Nico and Sana and the entire editorial team, uh, Mark Basso, uh, that that they that they somehow do. I I don't I have no idea how they do it. Where you really feel like you're growing with Kamala constantly. You never feel like she's stagnant. You never feel like she's just kind of existing in her own little world where she just kind of you know doesn't age and she doesn't grow and she just is this great hero. No, it's not that. She is this great hero, but she constantly feels like she's on a journey like she is a young person who's learning more about the world who's moving forward in new fascinating ways and i really really felt that in this issue aside from all that we get great stuff with shocker who has been a kind of lingering threat in new jersey my home state i will i shocker i hate you because you are terrorizing my fellow new jerseyans Uh, but yeah this is a great great issue of miss marvel yeah. Uh, fun scene work by Nico. I just wanted to point out that there's this one shot. I think it was a full page spread of the chaos that is being caused by Shocker's experiment and Kamala sees it. But in like the bottom left corner, there's this this little bit of old people eating snacks and lawn chairs while watching the chaos happen. Mm-hmm. And then there's a goat getting swept up in all the things. And it's something that is just like Nico does this. Mm-hmm. It's so fun. And they, there's a great callback to them by the end of the issue look for them again it made me so happy that they got brought back and it's it, it means nothing to the story it is just the wonderful bits of comic bookiness that you get from the comics yeah up next is solo a star wars story adaptation number one it's written by robbie thompson art by will sliney colors by federico blee letters by joe caramagna again joe caramagna wow yeah boy also we got one of our sas panelists robbie thompson Great. Yeah. Uh, Will, excellent at hitting big character moments. Obviously, this is an adaptation playing with what we know from the film, but he does such a great job when we see when we first see Beckett or when we see Chewie. It feels big and important and looks damn cool because it has to be. Mm-hmm. It, it need Those are so important to Solo's story here that, you know, you got to have those. Reminder, Robbie is also doing the prequel series, Star Wars, Han Solo, Imperial Cadet. That starts in November. Uh, Great cover to the first issue by David Nakayama, who I saw at the show as well, who gave me a Brute Force print. Wow. He had, had, uh, Brute Force showed up in Deadpool uh, a couple years ago. Couldn't have been that long ago, Mm -hmm. I guess. And there was a print and he's like, do you want anything? And I'm flipping through his book. I'm like, Brute Force. He's like, (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know about these characters until I drew this. I was like, <laughs> you got to learn, brother. 
All right, next book is Spider Garden <gasps> number one. I say it like that because we're going to have an episode of This Week in Marvel with a Spider Garden primer with Nick Lowe, and I'm only following the directions of the editor. That is how you have to say Spider Garden. But <laughs> folks, Ryan is just channeling what his voice sounded like on Saturday at New York Comic Con after all the craziness that went on there. It was just. Hey everybody, welcome to Marvel Live at New York Comic Con. <laughs> Very much me. And this is one of my picks of the week. Uh, here it is, y'all. It's finally here. Uh, the sequel to Spider-Verse. As Niccolo also instructed. Uh, you have to say the, the first series in that way and this series in the other way. Um, <laughs> not going to say them anymore because my voice can't handle that kind of pressure. Uh, we've got Superior Octopus versus Count Nefaria. Do you know who Count Nefaria is? He does not show up enough. I love the name. So good. He is this massively powerful villain. He's got a really cool style. He's immortal. He's almost too powerful to show up too mm. often, which I love. He's great. He shows up here versus Doc Ock or Superior Ock. We then get to see the Web Warriors versus Ock. But why? Because the Inheritors have returned. Uh, the Inheritors, the uh, villains of the original Spider-Verse story. And right away, it's pedal to the metal, and it's intense. Web Warriors, they're great. But two of the best go down hard and fast in this issue. Wow. This is like no punches pulled. This is for all the stakes, all the marbles. Uh, Jorge Molina has a little bit of uh, Olivia Coipel style in him, but really makes his pages all his own. Curiel does such a wonderful job on colors here. Oh, I should probably say that it is written by Christos Gage, based on a story by Dan Slott. Pencils and inks by Jorge Molina. Colors by David Curiel. Letters by VCs Travis Lanham. I love the colors that David Curiel does wonderfully here, especially when the inheritors are loose. You get this sort of like mist and haze and really scary bits because they are terrifying creatures uh that's a reminder niccolo again is on this week in marvel audio and video this week with our sp spider garden tons of backstory info on all the comics involved make sure you're subscribed to this week in marvel to hear that next up is spider-man deadpool number 40 it's written by hey sas panelist robbie thompson with art by Matt Horak, colors by Brian Reber, and letters by Joe Sabino. Uh, hey, more family stuff going on here. This is uh, the the issue for me that leans into that the most this week, and it's a really, really interesting kind of character issue. We've been going through this My Two Dads story arc where Deadpool and Spidey are kind of, you know, they're mentoring or raising or, I don't know, helping Matrix kind of learn about the world. But look, I had to call this out. The most unrealistic thing that I saw in comics this week, okay, it wasn't the space hopping, it wasn't the goats flying into wormholes, it wasn't any of that. It was hitchhiking. <laughs> There's hitchhiking in this issue, something that scares me to death. Ryan, have you ever hitchhiked? Oh, God, no. Okay. Yeah. No. No, 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 <laughs> exactly. no, 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 uh, no, It no. freaks me out. I've watched uh, too many movies. Yeah, exactly. I'm terrified of it. <laughs> exactly. Both. Picking up and uh, actually trying to hitch myself. Right, right. Yeah, uh, 
But anyway, maybe if you're like a synthetic, um, you know, like super powerful being like Matrix, it's like no big deal. Anyway, the whole gang is here uh, in this issue. Uh, the entire kind of pseudo team that has made up uh, this series for a long time, they all gather around and they're kind of swirling around Matrix in a really interesting way, in a way that uh, we see them relate to each other in kind of new ways. We see them relate to him in new ways. And Again, similar to what went down in Iceman, there's like some surprising little, you know, genuine emotional moments in here that really, really land. Uh, You know, it's in a book like Spider-Man Deadpool, it's about the laughs. It's about all the fun. And, you know, it delivers in every single issue. Um, But, you know, when Robbie goes for that, it lands and it lands hard. And it was so good to see that here. Uh, You know, I want to I want a Matrix son. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> I had a car called the Matrix years ago. Oh, cool. I missed that car. Um, it was I'm, good. Yeah. I sold it. Oh, really? Time ago. Actually, I got more money than I owed on it at the time. Swish. Oh. And it all comes back around cars, Matrixes, hitchhiking in cars. Come yeah. on. We We're planned this. together. Guess what? Uh, Marvel's pull list is scripted. We write this beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> this, t- this issue is kind of the best possible ending to the story mm-hmm. for me because I'm a big sap and I I, I want happy endings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was a wonderful ending. There's a hug in here that wins the week. Yeah. For me. Uh, so good. Next up is The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, number 37. It's written by Ryan North with art by Derek Charm. Colors by Rico Renzi and letters by Travis Lanham. Uh, if you're a reader of Squirrel Girl, you know that it's like the most dense book out there, which is why it's such a joy to read. It is like reading like a novel in its own uh, really unique way. But I love the credits page here because it's like, you know, it's it's always like a, a kind of a text chain or something. Um, but it's like a social network. Yeah, exactly. And there are some uh, hashtags on the side here. And in this issue it says hashtag Octobliterator, so that's October, uh, anyway, uh, hashtag cool cars, hashtag rip, hashtag rip roaring adventure, and hashtag speeches. Uh, things that we can expect. Tucker, you issue. read the book, right? Uh, yeah. The big octopus is called the oct- oct- octobli- octobliterator? Well, what I Not was thinking. for October, well, but octobliterator. I was thinking it was a Double, triple. Oh, maybe it is. Because this will be the first issue that came out in October. Anyway. I'll take that. um, uh, One point to Tucker. (laughs) This is the death of the unbeatable Squirrel Girl. What? Uh, Don't worry. It's not. But uh, it is really, really fun to see the kind of mystery that starts here because we begin the story at uh, Doreen Green's funeral. And... uh, Every major superhero around is there. They're all giving their own little memorial speeches to her. But, you know, who's there? Nancy's there. And Doreen's there themselves, just alive. They're Wait. wearing fish heads yeah. to, so uh, that no one can see them. The best new characters that we've had, Bass Lass and Fish Miss. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it is so much fun. There's a great page uh, with a ton of different panels as we see a bunch of different characters and heroes essentially just summarizing their past experiences with Squirrel Girl. Uh, a lot of different shout outs and references and things like that. It's really, really, really fun. Uh, and then we see the event that supposedly killed Squirrel Girl. But... Who is that Squirrel Girl? What was that? What did we witness go down? There is some crazy action in there, but we don't know 
We don't know how. I love the ending to this book specifically. It made me laugh out loud with uh, Brain Drain and everyone yeah. and how they're doing. And also just the the perfect, like, undeniably, impeccably unbeatable Squirrel Girl. Because there is something of a reveal or a guess at a reveal. And then they, like, they do essentially a quick roundup of, like, hey, if you don't know what that means, here's here's what it means. <laughs> in the story and uh, then some of the characters react in, 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 in really wonderful ways. Anyway, uh, so much fun. Always a delight to read. I think that is pretty much the, the word I use most when I'm talking about this series. It is so much fun. Yeah, and I think uh, having a funeral was really just an excuse for Ryan North to write a scene about uh, fashion choices mm-hmm. and characters wearing black and then Black Widow explaining why she would like yeah. how great wearing black is because that like page and a half is the best. Yeah. So good. Also, so good this week is Venom number seven, written by Dangerous Donny Cates, art by Ivan Coelho, colors by Andres Mosa, VCs Clayton Cowles on the letters. Artist Ivan Coelho does such a great job here. He previously has worked on Venomverse and some Venomized stuff, so he knows his symbiotes. And this is the first part of Oversight, the second arc of the series. You know, this one is is cool, too, because it's less about symbiote gods and giant dragons, but more about emotional devastation. And there's a character in this issue. I won't spoil or talk about it yet, but there's a really neat person to be involved in this story and how that factors in and sort of how that connects to Venom and sort of a mirror image of Venom and, uh, you know, Spider-Man and another character. It's really smart storytelling, really fun. I loved it. Next up is what if the Punisher, number one, more specifically, it's what if Peter Parker became the Punisher? And it's all written by Carl Potts with art by Juanan Ramirez, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg and letters by Travis Lanham. This isn't that big of a leap to take, to be honest. Um, A lot of what if issues take huge swings in the alternate realities that we're exploring and that is always so much fun this one is a really really subtle change it's essentially all down to one person's mind one person's psyche and the type of person that that person chose to become in our history in the history of earth 616 the history that we've known for decades and it just changes it a little bit, changes the chemistry, changes who this person is very, very subtly. And we get this pretty much Peter Parker's origin story is exactly the same, but his reaction to it is hugely different. Instead of becoming this power and responsibility, the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, the man that looks out for his community, the man that does his best for everyone, maybe even including the people that he goes up against themselves. And he is just like the Punisher here, vicious. He does things uh, out of revenge. He does things to punish people because of what he went through personally. It's really, really awesome to get those two characters in kind of one awesome, super unique mashup here because, you know, maybe you couldn't think of two more different characters in the Marvel Universe between Peter Parker and between Frank Castle. But to see what elements Carl and the creative team here pick from both of those characters in this what if is super fascinating. And I love how this issue kind of wraps up and tells this this great one shot story. Uh, Love the homage to the classic Mike Zeck and Phil Zimmelman Punisher cover by Chris Stevens and Rochelle Rosenberg. It's one of my favorite covers of the week. This one sort of uh, reminded me of one of my favorite what ifs, which is what if volume two number 44 of what if Venom had possessed the Punisher, Mm -hmm. which is 
Harley. And it's, so imagine Frank Castle with the Venom symbiote just like, oh, I can use this to really up my game. It's great. There is a, there's an article on Marvel.com right now where we explore a bunch of the old uh, What If Punisher issues that have Did you include that do. one? And we did. You better uh, have. Good job. Uh, yeah. We, uh, we do a roundup of those uh, in anticipation of this. So go check that out. Yeah. Good job. Up next is X-23 number five. Uh, this is the final part of Two Birthdays and Three Funerals, written by Mariko Tamaki, art by Juan Cabal and Marcio Fiorito, colors by Nolan Woodard, letters by VCs Corey Petit. Esme, the evil, not-quite-dead clone in Gabby's body, is super creepy. Mm-hmm. They make her pale and mean and this really nasty villain. Pretty much any of the talking points are all, like, mm-hmm. spoilers. Yep. So uh, it was a really cool ending to this opening arc, especially for the final panel of the issue, which... Again, I keep talking about I need happy things right now. Mm-hmm. And this was a nice way to end this arc. Laura's journey over the last few years is really one of my favorite things we've had at Marvel. Just tremendous. Totally. Another X-Men book on the way is the last book this week. It's X-Men Black Mojo number one. And it's my second pick of the week. It's written by one of my heroes, Scott Aukerman, with art by Nick Bradshaw and Andre Lima Araujo, colors by Guru EFX, and letters by Here He Is Once More, folks. Say thank you this week. He did a ton. Joe Caramagna on letters. This issue is just a great one-shot story about Mojo. I actually had the distinct pleasure of getting on the old horn with Scott uh, last week. You make it sound so strange. <laughs> uh, you just talk to him. We, now we got on the horn and uh, we, we yeah, I got to talk to him for a little while about, about this issue, about his history with Marvel Comics, about how that impacted him as a, as a writer, comedian, producer, director, creative person overall. And we talked a ton about the X-Men and a ton about how uh, he understands them and how he wanted to write them in this issue this issue that's all in an interview on marvel.com right now go check it out please it is one of uh, my favorite things that i've gotten to do in a little while but this issue is so much fun because essentially scott in that interview he talked about how it was just like he's always found it kind of strange or, or, or kind of weird that like villainous characters oftentimes tend to be just physically ugly and so he's thought like what a strange connection where we just like we have this like if you're ugly you're bad if you're bad you're probably ugly and like you know this this weird correlation between those two things so this book in a certain way it is an, an analysis of that but it's also an analysis of a ton more but all delightfully hilariously told it is so funny to see Scott put essentially put Mojo in like a just like the old school, like trench coat fedora, <laughs> like uh, it ain't broke disguise, uh, and go out on the town. And uh, in order to do that analysis, in order to kind of look into the way he relates to the world and the way the world sees him as like this big kind of nasty guy with spider legs, he pulls in a great character who certainly is maybe not like the best, most attractive guy himself. It's Clob Herman. You know, who is also just the best. He's the best dude. And the way that they interact together, the way that this kind of story and character arc emerges over the course of this issue is so much fun. It's so delightful. Uh, Yeah, I loved it so much. Did you say what Scott does? Like Comedy Bang Bang. Yeah. He wrote for Mr. Show. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's worked on uh, a million projects. Uh, And he's also the co-founder of Earwolf, 
which is such an institution at this point mm-hmm. for comedy that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was, it's always great to have him work on Marvel projects. I love what he did with Glob Herman. He helps co-create a new Marvel yep. character in Mucus, M-U-K-U-S, uh, <laughs> him and Andre. And it's great. Plus, this issue also had an apocalypse story in it. Yeah. Uh, Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler joined by Geraldo Borges on art. Rochelle Rosenberg on colors and Corey Petit on letters. It is part two of Apocalypse Degeneration. Uh, it continues that storyline in a really, really fascinating way. I love what they're doing with Ensaba Noor. Zach and Lonnie, two guys that I got to meet this weekend. Yeah. The best. Sweet little babies. Yeah. Uh, I, I love them. They also write one of my favorite lines of the week in this issue, which is, quote, from Apocalypse, quote, do I even deserve to live if others are above me, mm. which is such a very apocalypse thing. Like his whole thing is survival of the fittest. And if he's no longer feeling fit, does he, by his own rules, yeah. deserve to live? I thought that was great. I'm intrigued by the mystery of that book. Also this week, we have two true believers issues. What if Dr. Doom had become a hero? And what if Spider-Man had rescued Gwen Stacy, uh, which is classic. Highly suggest you check them out. Those are $1 a piece. Collections on sale this week include Blade, Blood and Chaos, Invincible Iron Man, Masterworks Volume 11, Marvel Knights, Black Widow by Grayson and Rucka, The Complete Collection, New Mutants, Dead Souls, Quasar, Cosmos in Collision, X-Men, Cyclops and Phoenix, Past and Future, X-Men, The Magneto War, and X-Men Uncanny Origins. That New Mutants trade, terrific. Just wrapped up that Matt Rosenberg and Adam Gorham series. But deep cut here that... Quasar collection, Cosmos and Collision, is awesome. Highly suggested. Mark Grunwald, Paul Reinhardt, and a young Greg Capullo contributing much art in that collection. Really, really good. Those are actually some books I've been sort of picking up here and there for my spinner rack. But you know what? You can get it now. It's also those issues are available on the Marvel app. However you wanted to pick them up, I would suggest you do. Digital collections on sale this week include those books and some cool masterworks added to the lot. And then on Marvel Unlimited, so much stuff. There's a bunch of old Venom stuff, 90s Venom, like License to Kill, On Trial, Tooth and Claw, Venomized. That is in there. We're filling in a bunch of things for Web of Spider-Man, which is really neat, and uh, Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man. So I know a lot of people want to fill in gaps. And then the Thanos Infinity Siblings graphic novel is now in Marvel Unlimited. So Mm. you can check that out. Lots of great stuff. We'll put the list of comics and links into the Marvel.com news story and the show notes for you. That about wraps it up for this episode. Woo! Feeling good. Yeah. We did it. We did it. More to come next week. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe. Your universe. 